book one chapter four of the mystical city of god volume two by the venerable sister mary of jesus of agreda this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter four the most high continues his favors to most holy mary on the fourth day still the favors and most exalted mysteries of the most high toward our queen and lady in preparing her for approaching dignity of motherhood, continued. The fourth day of this preparation had arrived, and at the same hour she was again raised to the abstractive vision of the divinity. But this vision was accompanied by new effects of exalted enlightenments in this most pure soul. The divine power and wisdom has no bounds or limits. To his operations only our will, or the limitation of our created nature, offers resistance but in the will of most holy Mary, the divine power found no hindrance, for all her works were executed with plenitude of holiness, and entirely according to the pleasure of the Lord, drawing him on, as he himself said, and wounding his heart with love. Canticles chapter 4 verse 9 Only in so far as most holy Mary was a mere creature, was the power of the divine arm limited, but within these limits, it could act without bound or restriction, and without measure, offering her the waters of wisdom from the purest and most crystalline founts of the divinity. The Most High manifested to her in this vision, by most special enlightenments, the new law of grace which the Redeemer of the world was to establish, the sacraments contained in it, the end for which he would leave them in his new church of the gospel, the gifts and blessings prepared for men, and his desire, that all should be saved, and that all should reap the fruit of the redemption. And so it was the wisdom which the Most Holy Mary drew from these visions, wherein she was taught by the highest teacher and the corrector of the wise. Wisdom chapter 7 verse 15 That if by any means man or angel could describe it, more books would have been written of this science of Our Lady, than all those which have been composed in this world, concerning all the arts and sciences, and all the inventions of men. And no wonder her science was greater than that of all other men, for into the heart and mind of our princess was emptied and exhausted the ocean of divinity, which the sins and the evil disposition of the creatures had confined, repressed, and circumscribed. It was concealed within its own source until the proper time, which was no other than the hour in which she was chosen as mother of the only begotten of the Father. Joined with the sweetness of this divine science, our queen felt a loving yet piercing sorrow, which this very science continued to renew. She perceived in the Most High the ineffable treasures of grace and blessings, which he had prepared for mortals, and she saw the weight of the divinity, as it were, inclined toward the desire of seeing all men enjoy them eternally. At the same time, she saw and considered the wicked disposition of the world, and how blindly mortals impeded the flow of these treasures, and deprived themselves of participation of the divinity. From this resulted a new kind of martyrdom, full of grief for the perdition of men, and of the desire of remedying such lamentable loss. This caused her to offer up the most exalted prayers, petitions, sacrifices, humiliations, and heroic acts of love, of God and of men, in order that no one, if possible, should henceforth damn himself, and that all should recognize their Creator and Redeemer, confess Him, adore and love Him. All this took place in this very vision, 
but as these petitions were of the same kind as those already described, I do not expatiate on them here. In conjunction therewith, the Lord showed her also the works of creation performed on the fourth day. Genesis chapter 1 verses 14 to 17. The heavenly princess Mary learned how and when the luminaries of heaven were formed in the firmament for dividing day and night, and for indicating the seasons, the days and the years, how for this purpose was created the great light of heaven, the sun, presiding as the lord of the day, and joined with it the moon, the lesser light, which reigns over the darkness of the night. In like manner were formed the stars of the eighth heaven, in order that they might gladden the night with their brilliance, and preside with their various influences over both the day and the night. She understood what was the material substance of these luminous orbs, their form, their size, their properties, their various movements and uniformity, as well as the inequality of the planets. She knew the number of the stars, and all their influences exerted upon the earth, both in regard to the living and the lifeless creatures, the effects and changes which they cause in them by their influences. This is not in conflict with what the prophet says. Psalm 146, verse 4. That God knows the number of the stars, and has called them by their names. For David does not thereby deny to his majesty the liberty of conceding to a creature, that as a privilege which he possesses by nature. It is plain that since this knowledge is communicable, and since it would contribute to Mary's excellence, it should not be denied to her. Has he not conferred upon her greater favors, and has he not made her the queen of the stars, and of all other creatures? And this knowledge was, as it were, only a sequel of her dominion and sovereignty over the powers, influences, and movements of all the celestial orbs, since they were commanded to obey her as their queen and lady. In consequence of this command, which the Lord gave to the celestial orbs, and in accordance with the dominion which Most Holy Mary obtained over them, she possessed such a power, that if she commanded the stars to leave their positions in heaven, they would obey her instantly, and would hasten to the regions which she chose to designate. The same is true of the sun and the planets. All would pause in their course, and suspend their operations, to execute the command of Mary. I have already said above, that sometimes her highness made use of this sovereignty, for, as we shall see farther on, it happened a few times in Egypt, where the rays of the sun are exceedingly strong, that she commanded the sun to moderate its heat, and not to molest or fatigue the infant God, its master. And the sun obeyed her therein, causing inconvenience and suffering to her, because she wished it, and yet respecting the tender years of the sun of justice, whom she held in her arms. The same happened also with other stars, and on a few occasions she detained the sun in its course, as I will mention later. Many other hidden sacraments of the Most High manifested to our great Queen in these visions, and what I have said and will say of all these mysteries, leaves me dissatisfied, and with a heart as it were, torn asunder. For I see that I can say little of that which I understand, and in proportion I understand still less of what really did happen to the heavenly lady. Many of the mysteries concerning her are reserved for the last day, when her most holy son shall proclaim them, since now we are not capable of receiving their revelation. The most holy Mary issued from this vision, still more inflamed and filled with the divinity, 
entirely transformed by the knowledge of God's attributes and perfections, and her advance in virtues kept pace with her progress in divine favors. She multiplied her requests, her fervent sighs, and her meritorious works, in order to hasten the incarnation of the word and our salvation. Instruction which the heavenly queen gave me. My daughter, I wish that thou busy thyself much in meditating and pondering upon that which thou hast understood of my doings and sufferings at the time, when the Most High gave me such a deep insight into his goodness, which drew him as with an infinite force to enrich men, and which he showed me the want of correspondence and the dark ingratitude of the mortals. When I turn from the consideration of this most liberal condescension of the Most High, to the perception and understanding of the foolish hard-heartedness of the sinners, my soul was pierced with an arrow of mortal anguish, which remained for life. And I wish to tell thee of another mystery. Many times the Most High, in order to heal the affliction and consternation of my heart in this sorrow, sought to console me by saying, Except thou, my spouse, the gifts which the blind and ignorant world in its unworthiness despises, and is incapable of receiving and understanding. With these words the Most High was accustomed to set free the currents of his divine bounty, which rejoice my soul more than human powers can comprehend, or tongue explain. I desire, therefore, that thou, my friend, be now my companion in the sorrow which I suffered, and which is so little noticed by the living. In order to imitate me therein, and in the effects of this most just grief, Thou must deny thyself, forget thyself entirely, and crown thy heart with the thorns of sorrow at the behavior of mortals. Weep thou seeing them laugh at their eternal damnation, for such weeping is the most legitimate occupation of the true spouses of my most holy son. Let them seek their delight only in the tears, which they pour out on account of their sins and those of the ignorant world. Thus prepare thy heart, in order that the Lord may make thee a participant of his treasures, not in order to become rich, but in order that his majesty may fulfill his most generous love toward thee, and in order that souls may find justification. Imitate me in all that I teach thee, since thou knowest that this is my desire in favoring thee. End of chapter 4